chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. I'm just very humbled tonight by just the way that our body gives and serves way that Deb gives back and folks gave to you and you know that we're in a transition we don't have a worship pastor right now but our people just sacrificially come around and create these wonderful leadership opportunities for us and then there's a homeless man who came in he's gone now and um, he said put that in the plate it's just so humbling the way that God works and moves well, we are asking the question this Advent that Deb asks so powerfully, and where do you find hope? Where do you go to find hope? And I, I, I don't know if it's just me or people I'm talking to, but a lot of us seem to be reframing that question. Maybe, maybe we thought we knew and the old answers aren't as satisfying as they once were. Um, and so I just thought it would be a good idea this Advent, which is the season of hope, of course, to look at the lives of several biblical characters who were there when Christ first came into the world and, and just ask, what do they teach us about finding hope? And this story, of course, is about Mary. And it's not that she's 
the text doesn't say that she's you know, in this hopeless place. We don't know that much about her. We know she's probably a young lady. We know she lives in a small village up in the north in a rural area. She's engaged probably to an older man who is a carpenter. We don't know that much about her. She has a pretty nondescript life. If she was like most people in that day, she was just trying to survive. We do know later on in chapter 1, there's this beautiful, beautiful song she sings. We call it the Magnificent, where she praises God, and she's just filled with hope and joy and expectation. So something happens in her life that leads her to great hope. We also know that she's, the text says, Luke tells us she's a virgin. And in Scripture, when you read about a virgin, often it's a symbol of a couple of things. Uh, one is a virgin uh, is someone who has not yet given birth, who's not yet conceived, uh, someone in whom the seed to give life has not yet been implanted. So Mary is, is like that. We know that her role is to bring the Christ child into the world. She doesn't yet. But we also know that she doesn't have the resources to fulfill her purpose in the world. And that's where the story begins. With a young woman who lacks the resources to fulfill her role in the world. That could be pretty hopeless, can it? And that's a place where hopelessness comes. And you may feel a little bit like that tonight, that there's something that you feel like you're supposed to be doing. It may be getting through cancer. It may be finishing your MCAT and getting into med school. It may be that you really wanted to be a, a mother and a wife and are single. There are all sorts of things. And you thought that was what God was calling you to do, but right now you just lack the resources to fulfill it. And that can lead to hopelessness. Um, well, the angel Gabriel, in the six months, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, I don't know how you imagine this situation. Um, we don't get a lot of details. One of the things that I, I try to do, and I'm trying to do more of when I'm reading biblical stories, is to just imagine what it must have been like. And for some reason, I imagine this story happening at night. Again, the text doesn't say that, but you, you have it happen whenever you want. But when I imagine it, Mary's tossing and turning in bed. And I actually took out a little sketch pad this week, and I bought some colored pencils, and I, I tried to sketch out what I thought it might look like. And my angel was just this big ball of light. And yes, my pictures look like a, a three-year-old, but, but that's not the point. My angel was this big ball of light, and Mary's on the bed just tossing and turning as the angel is coming into her life. I think there's a little clue about hope here before we go on. Mary's hope comes from God. 
the angel was sent from God, she's the one or he's the one that is ultimately going to give her hope by giving her a purpose that she can align her life with. But it comes from God. That's very significant. The hope does not come from a situation or a circumstance or Mary improving or even Joseph's resources. One of the whole points of the story is that real hope comes from God. And I find when I take my eyes off of that reality, I get discouraged and I lose my hope. I've told you the story of a young man that I work with. I'll give you a little update. He's always sick. Uh, Finally, we realize, well, he's probably got mold all over his house. Uh, So we we have a donor help us go in, and a company comes in and strips it and finds out, you know, this is going on, this is going on. And so the donor is a very generous person. He's, He's really broken over this situation. He says, I'll do anything. What can I do? Well, Many phone calls later, what we essentially hear is they're in um, subsidized housing. There's a waiting list. And if his mom complains, they'll be put out. And there's many other people who just take their place. She doesn't drive. She's very sick. I think she's illiterate. They'd probably wind up on the street. So I've got a multimillionaire who'll do anything to help this little family And right now all we can do is, you know, a little house clean. You have have your own story. If if, if you care about the world (laughs) and your heart breaks for the things that God breaks for and you just read the paper or the blog, it's awfully easy to lose your hope. Uh, One of the most powerful books I've read in five years was Tanishi Coates' Between the World and Me, which was about a letter from a black man to his son, and there's no hope in it. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. Uh, it's incredible. I, I wish you'd all read it. No hope. He wrote a follow-up. No hope. Somebody interviewed him and said, do you have hope? He said, no. Hope has, has to come from God. Well, I think it's interesting, too, that Mary doesn't figure this out all by herself. She doesn't work her way to hope. She doesn't muster up hope. She doesn't kind of put on a positive mental attitude. God has to send a messenger into her life to give her a word that gives her hope. And I think that's very, very significant. If you're struggling with hope tonight, if if you're struggling with hopelessness, you can't get out of there by yourself. There needs to be a, a messenger, a Gabriel, someone that will come into your life and speak a word and help you discern God's purpose in your life. That can happen all sorts of different ways. I think it happens in good families. I think it happens in good small groups and Bible studies. But, but there's a difference between just kind of going through life together and, and checking off things and reading the Bible together. That's somewhat helpful. But what I think we're looking at here, if, again, I, I think these stories in the Bible are meant to be paradigms or models of how God walks with us. 
It's not just that, wow, that was crazy, it happened to Mary, great story. I think it's a model of how he moves in our lives. The word angel means messenger. God sends messengers into our lives to help us discern his purpose for our life. And that, I think, is what the best friend does. That, I think, is what sacred conversation does. That's what I think a good mother or father does. That's what I think a good spiritual director or, or therapist does, is that you listen well and you help discern call. Because we don't all get an angel in the middle of the night. Well, what does the angel do for Mary? Well, he gives her a purpose for her life. I don't know if she understood much of it. He says, you're greatly favored. She says, I'm greatly troubled by that. What kind of greeting might this be? Then the angel quotes 2 Samuel 7, which probably wasn't, you know, real familiar to her. Your son will be great. He'll be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That all sounds familiar to us. It must have made very little sense to her. But she knew something was happening. She knew that God was going to birth a child through her and that this was going to be her purpose for her life. Now, I think it's very important, before we move on, to notice that her sense of calling was unclear, mysterious, Incomplete and troubling. And she's the mother of God. So I think we can expect God's calling in our lives to be similar. Unclear, mysterious, incomplete, and troubling. <laughs> okay. But she knew something. She understood that God was speaking a word into her life, giving her a purpose for her life, a way to cooperate with him in his plan. And here's what I think is, is the heart of the story about hope. It begins with discerning God's purpose for your life. Now, what I'm, I'm trying to ask you to do this four weeks with me is reframe how we think about hope. Because, as Deb so eloquently put it, and as so many of you will attest, it cannot be, I know I'll get what I want. Because there's no guarantee of that. So if that is your hope, that if I'm faithful and I trust and I pray enough, I will get what I want, that's not biblical hope, because a lot of time you don't. So hope, whatever it is, must have something for us when we have cancer. It must have something for us when the business is not going well. It must have something for us when the father takes a turn for the worse. We must have hope in those situations. And I think it starts here with a sense of being involved with the mystery of God at work in our life. That's where I think hope begins with 
understanding that God is at work and you are joining him in that work. That's when I think we come alive with hope. And I don't mean just vocationally, although that's a part of it. I mean a sense of who I am becoming. That you begin to have this vision that God has come to you like Mary had the angel come to her and he's doing something in your life. He's moving you somewhere. He's helping you become something and you're joining him in that. You don't know where it's going, but you're joining him in that. That, I think, is the deepest hope that I may die by next Christmas, but I am participating with God in his work in my life. Therefore, I have hope. That's where hope comes from. Now, Mary's response to the call is not immediate. She's troubled, it says. She questions. She says, how does this have to happen? I'm I'm a virgin. She questions the call. And then finally, she embraces it. Our text says, let it be done to me according to your word. Latin, just two words, fiat mihi, at the bottom of many paintings. Fiat mihi. Yes. Yes. I don't understand all of it. I don't know where it's going. A lot of it doesn't make sense to me. It troubles me. It scares me. But I sense it's you. Yes. I'm going. And then we get the Magnificat, this explosion of Praise. So here's what I think we learn about hope from this first story. Hope comes when I adjust my life to God's call. I experience hope, you experience hope when you rearrange your life so that you are joining in and participating with God's call. Now, I know we think of callings in big ways, and sometimes they're they're very big. Most of the time, they're very subtle. I've been learning this on uh, Wednesdays. We have this little prayer time. I love anybody that can, 8.30 to 10. I know most of us can't make that time, but we just pray for the service, pray for the church. And uh, Taryn and Gary Peacock, Darren Uh, Ellsworth and Gary Peacock have been teaching us kind of a new way to do this. And one of the things that they said last February was, tell you what, let's get a journal and let's record everything God says in this prayer time. And believe it or not, I've never done that in a group prayer time. And every six weeks we take out the journal and we talk about what God has said. And now almost a year later, we're beginning to see a pattern and a theme. And by golly, if he isn't actually talking. Now, I don't know about you, I just forget. That's why we write it down. So I journal a lot, and so this week I was thinking, well, God, what are you saying to me? And, and so I pulled out journals back to Easter, and I just went through with a highlighter, and I, and I said, Lord, I don't, I don't get an angel, but I think you're speaking. What are you speaking to me, and how am I doing at adjusting my life? And I, I, I'm going to share this with you, not because it's super spiritual, but just as an example, and I'm leaving out the personal stuff that would embarrass me. Okay, um, so here are a couple things that I've heard in the last, since Easter. Listen 
to younger voices, they see what you cannot. Rekindle your burning heart and invite others to catch fire with you. There are no shortcuts. Follow the ancient paths. Learn to dance. Swing dance. Wednesday nights. Pursue your father. Fast from commentaries when preparing your sermon. I usually use nine. And right now I'm not allowed to use any. I just felt him say, you and me, buddy, mano a mano, no more commentaries. You sit there until I give you a word. So if these are bad sermons, <laughs> just saying. Um, practice contemplative prayer. Your prayers are too wordy. You're boring me. Seriously. Explore a pest. And what that means is um, apostolic, prophetic, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, the five gifts in uh, Ephesians 4 about equipping the church, sometimes called fivefold ministry. Just keeps coming up again and again that those five gifts aren't fully operational in our church and they need to be. Strengthen teaching in the church. Preach hope. And I tell you, as, as I try to adjust my life to these subtle, simple, boring callings, I don't feel better about the government. I don't feel better about the kids in my swim team. I don't feel better about my physical problems. I don't feel better about my daughter trying to be an actor slash nanny in New York City. But I've got more hope. Now, the other piece I'll leave you with is I think this applies to a church, too. That if we as a congregation can adopt the posture of Mary... And listen, this is where I think the prophetic part comes in, but there's other parts as well. If we can listen to what the Spirit is saying to us as a church, lots of changes coming in here, new worship pastor coming in, lots of things, starting a Sunday school class in January, all this. If we listen and the Lord speaks and we say, let it be done to us according to your word, we'll have more hope. We'll have more hope. Let's pray.